0: I feel like this has been, for me, encouraging and yet very challenging, Uh, thinking about even this question of where do we find hope? Uh, We talk a lot about hope, right? Where do we find encouragement? Where do we find meaning? And I I think about that particularly in these difficult times of uh, where, where are we tempted to turn when things aren't going as we hoped they would? When things are, are, are difficult for any number of reasons, things prayed for earlier today, uh, things going on in our lives that, that we don't even know about in each other's lives, right? We, we bring those weights uh, along with the things that are, uh, we're seeing all around us. And uh, I, we, we talk uh, about our culture and some of the things that we're, we're regularly moved toward. There was a f- really phenomenal article, uh, opinion piece in the New York Times this week. Uh, by uh, a woman named Lee Stein, and um, it, it is uh, it, it's essentially asking this question of where do we go in, in times of, of difficulty. And, and Lee Stein describes herself as a nun. Uh, a nun is a word that's used more and more to describe those who have no religious affiliation. And she is in this article speaking uh, as her, her to her experience as a woman and other women that she knows, but. Uh, this is an experience that, uh, that that we all have, and uh, and she talks about uh, the huge numbers of folks turning to Instagram influencers for moral authority. Uh, that this is the place that people find uh, comfort. That she often turns uh, for comfort. She describes one uh, popular. Uh, influencer as uh, one that has an accessible, combi- she, actually, she actually says her gospel, this woman's gospel, is an accessible combination of self-care, activism, and tongue-in-cheek Christianity. And that folks can worship at any time of day or night at the electric church of her Instagram feed. And she talks about this woman being a preacher, even for those who are nuns, who don't consider that they have any uh, particular uh, faith. Um, they have found, uh, she talks about finding alternative scripture online, a new belief system that's a blend of left-wing political orthodoxy, intersectional feminism, self-optimization, therapy, wellness, astrology, and Dolly Parton. Um, and there's some really good things that a lot of these folks pick up on. And, and we could you know, pass around some of the, uh, the posts that folks have put up. And, and what she talks about the fact that it's okay not to be okay. Like recognizing as we talk about the, the fact that we don't have it all together. There's some really helpful things being said uh, by some of the influencers that are regularly turned to. But uh, she then begins to note that this social media industry relies on keeping us outraged and engaged and that it's something Uh, there's something missing that she finds, particularly in the midst of the pandemic. She says, I've hardly prayed to God since I was a teenager, but the pandemic has cracked open inside of me a profound yearning for reverence, humility, and awe. I have an overdraft of outrage on my outrage account. I want moral authority from someone who isn't shilling a memoir or calling out her enemies on social media for clout. She goes on to talk about uh, the fact that Um, these moral leaders aren't asking the questions that leaders of faith have been wrestling with for thousands of years. Why are we here? Why do we suffer? What should we believe in beyond the limits of our puny selfhood? There is a chasm between the vast scope of our needs and what influencers can provide. We're looking for guidance in the wrong places. Instead of helping us to engage with our most important questions, our screens might be distracting us from them. Maybe we actually need to go to something like church. Here we are at something like church. Church. Uh, Contrary to what you might have seen on Instagram, our purpose is not to optimize our one wild and precious life. It's time to search for meaning beyond the electric church that keeps us addicted to our phones and alienated from our closest kin. We we could spend a, a long time talking about uh, social media and uh, addiction to uh, our phones and all of that. And there's something uh, valuable conversation to be had there. But, but we find here uh, this desire for something deeper and more for meaning, right? To, to answer these deeper questions uh, of life. And, and she begins to acknowledge that she's not finding it in her Instagram feed. Maybe we need to go to something like church. And so here we are at church dealing with this question of meaning. And we find ourselves in Ecclesiastes, where again and again, every week, every passage that we look at speaks to vanity, to what some translations translate as meaningless. That all of the things that we pursue are vanity. The the Hebrew word is hebel. It's a breath, of vapor, it's fleeting, uh, it is that vanity, it is meaningless when we seek for meaning and, and real truth in those things. And we've looked at some of those specifically, whether it be pleasure or our jobs or uh, wisdom, and, and we find that uh, those things in and of themselves don't offer ultimate meaning, And yet, I think we've seen each week that the preacher here, the koaleth, the writer of Ecclesiastes, does believe that there is some meaning, even when we're not able to understand it. And we find that again here as he begins to look at this idea of old age and youth. In chapter 12, verses 1 through 8, he gives this really dim picture of the fact that we age and die. And he says, vanity of vanities, verse 8, says the preacher, all is vanity. He speaks of the vanity as well in this passage in verses 8 and 10 of chapter 11. And uh, and and he gives us, again, this picture that is um, sobering. M- maybe to say the least, it is, it is sobering. And that's what we're going to look at. We're going to look at old age and youth. We're going to take it in that order, uh, even though... We're going to look at chapter 12 and then chapter 11 mostly, but old age and youth. But let me pray for us as we look. Lord, open our hearts and minds to your truth that we might be shaped by it. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. There are bits here that that feel like we, we are endeavoring to find out what is true. Uh, I, 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 find myself often wanting to find what is uh, encouraging or hopeful. And I think those things are here, but we, we start with w- what is true because sometimes we, we want it to be simpler than it is. He's making this point in chapter 12, uh, as he speaks of the vanity uh, of our lives, that it's all moving to a pretty dark place. He, he describes aging, uh, as, uh, as something that, uh, that brings about no pleasure. So before the evil days come and the years draw near, of which you will say, "I find no pleasure in them." Verse one. Then he goes into talk about the sun and the light and the moon and stars being darkened. Then he speaks of this house and the day when the keepers of the house tremble and the strong man, strong men are bent. That this idea that uh, our, our bodies no longer have the strength even to protect our our homes. I, I, I think even uh, there are many of us that uh, resonate with this. We have a, a lot of young folks who aren't, aren't yet resonating with this and there's words for youth here. But I, I think about uh, loving to play football when I was in high school and even the idea of getting hit and rolling over and bouncing back up, that is a very foreign idea to me now. Uh, that, that is not the way that I would react if I were to be hit in the way that I was playing football in high school. So I, I, I used to enjoy it uh, and now I would like to avoid it. Um, but this is this is what happens. He goes on to say that uh, the grinders cease because they are few. This is speaking of the teeth. The teeth cease because they are few. And the windows here are dim. That is, eyes are dimmed. It's harder to see. The doors to the street are shut. That is, uh, we, we can't hear uh, in the same way, in verse down in verse six, we find the golden bowl is broken, the pitcher is shattered, the fountain, the wheel is broken at the cistern, the things that hold water, this image of life, they they are gone, and it is because the dust returns to the earth as it was, the spirit returns to God who gave it. This is a dark picture of where we're headed, and, and he's he's saying, you remember this, and now let, let's let's recognize that there's an, an experience of our our bodies uh, decaying that sometimes happens uh, at, at a young age. And we prayed for multiple folks, uh, uh, this morning, Nathan prayed for, uh, those even very young who are experiencing a brokenness in, in the body. And, and we also have, uh, medical advancements that allow folks to be healthy much longer. And, and so we don't necessarily have to break this up into, uh, these things happen when you're old and not when you're young, there can be a dark picture. In fact, Uh, at at any age. And yet the promise is that for all of us that we will end up here and that ultimately, however our body breaks down along the way, that we die. And this is the picture that we have from the writer of Ecclesiastes as we come with all of our stresses and struggles to, to find truth and find hope and look for meaning this is the word that he gives us. How might we respond? There are a number of ways that we might respond. One might be despair. It, it, it's all meaningless, and there's no hope, and I, I, I give up. And, and we begin to see everything in a negative light. There's the Eeyore, in Eeyore's gloomy place, full of, it's rather boggy and sad. Now I, I think it's helpful to note that there is an encouragement in, in the Word of God to continually look for the joy and, and to seek that and pursue that. But let, let's also recognize that sometimes some of the things that influence us from outside of us they they put us in places of what we might call despair or depression, and that this can be part of the chemical makeup of, of our bodies, and it's a brokenness, a, an illness that we might uh, experience. And so it's, d- don't hear me saying, and don't hear the word of God saying, oh, it, it's all fine, just don't despair. Um, we haven't gotten to that to the part of seeking joy yet, but that will come. But it's, it, it, it comes even then, recognizing that we are physical beings and that we're affected by the physical things around us, and that sometimes includes uh, depression. It, it includes struggles with Things that we experience, uh, abuses that we've experienced of all kinds, many of which we've keep, we keep hidden and don't tell others about. And then we feel shame uh, uh, over those things. And, and that has an effect on us. And I, I don't think that the writer of Ecclesiastes, as he's lived this, this incredibly full life, he, he's not ignoring those things. He's actually sitting in that mess. There are other ways that we might respond besides despair. We might move towards cynicism. We, we might pick apart other people's attempts to uh, engage in this world and, and try to even fix the things that are, are broken. And we, we, we actually swim in a culture of cynicism so that we're, we, we struggle to be serious about things oftentimes. We turn things into uh, to jokes, we, we have trouble being serious. We have trouble uh, actually thinking that there is hope to to fix the things that are a mess, to address the concerns that we have. And and that could be big picture stuff as we have conversations about the brokenness of racial uh, relationships in our country and around the world. As we as we think about um, issues of migration around the world and refugees, and we think about war and we. Th- and hunger, and we, we could just go on and on and on and feel overwhelmed uh, by the things that we face. And we then become cynical. I think there's an encouragement actually away from that here. We'll get to that in a moment as he speaks of youth. And there's self-indulgence. If it's all meaningless, then I'm just going to be a hedonist. I'm going to do whatever I want, no matter what the consequences are for me or for others. In uh, the extreme, that, that can be violent because it doesn't really matter how I I, I treat uh, other people. Uh, Flannery O'Connor is a great author and has written many great stories. A Good Man is Hard to Find is one of her short stories. And and, uh, there is a character in there, the misfit, who's a murderer, serial murderer. And he says, Jesus was the only one that ever ever raised the dead. He shouldn't have done it. He'd thrown everything off balance. And if he did what he said, then it's nothing for you to do but to throw away everything and follow him. And if he didn't, If it's all ultimately actually meaningless, then it's nothing for you to do but to enjoy the few minutes you got left the best way you can. By killing somebody or burning down his house or doing some other meanness to him. No pleasure, but meanness. If things are ultimately meaningless, then that's where we could find ourselves. That's the natural end, logically, and some people have found themselves there. We we might, in the church, find ourselves pointed in different directions. Maybe it's piety. So it just becomes, we we enter into this Gnostic world that has influenced the church far too much, that it separates the physical from the spiritual, and it says that the answer is for me just to go to my closet and pray. And. To be clear, we talk about the fact that prayer is powerful. We believe that prayer and communion with our Lord is good and right and true. But just to think about our spiritual life is purely spiritual with no effect on any other part of our lives or relationships or the way that we engage others is missing the reality of who God created us to be. It's why we stand and sit and kneel. It's this reminder that these things shape who we are because we are physical beings. And we engage in a physical world, and so we care about the things around us. Another way that we might uh, react is by escaping. And this happens in Christian circles by just focusing on the beautiful. Maybe it's the resurrection, which we celebrate every single week, not just at Easter, but to, to just think about that coming, but not to think about how, why it came or how it came through death, through pain, through torture and suffering, there are the verses that we love to memorize and quote, you know, we, we focus on the Romans eight twenty eight that all things work together for the good of those who love him, who are called according to his purposes. And, and we want to skip over it's all It's for the good. It's for the good. We want to skip over the, the broken things that happened, the, the death that led to that point. And we have uh, slogans and ways of, of of escaping from the reality of Holy Saturday, this coming Saturday, that moment between Good Friday and Sunday when Jesus is actually in the, what we're remembering is Jesus in the grave. And there was a moment where Jesus was in the grave. And before that, he was tortured. And then his followers for proclaiming these things were tortured and killed for following him and telling others about the resurrection. Peter tells us that there is to be an expectation of suffering and following Jesus. It's the book of first Peter. And, and we like to skip over those parts. We skip over Job. We struggle with Ecclesiastes and, uh, and we just try to escape. There are other ways that we're tempted to escape too. just the whole entertainment industry. And we could put anything in that category. It's designed to keep us focused on the, the opportunities to spend our money watching, playing Not thinking about these things that ultimately matter. What are our tendencies? Where are we tempted to respond in these ways? Despair, cynicism, escape, piety. The preacher gives us a different way. He calls us to something else. And we're going to say that the way that he calls us to this other thing, leading ultimately to this idea of experiencing joy in the world is by removing, remembering and rejoicing. We remove chapter 11, verse 10 remove vexation and a great translation here is actually evil from your heart, remove evil from your heart and put away pain from your body. That is this recognition that we are to put away evil things. And, and he recognizes that as we do move forward in life, it, Rejoicing, young man, verse nine, in your youth, and you let your heart cheer you all the days of your youth, walk in the ways of your heart, but know that for all these things, God will bring you into judgment. There is this recognition that there is something else to come. There's a judgment to come, and we talked about this last week, that that is ultimately God's justice, and that's hopeful, but it's also a recognition that the way that we live now matters. And we also celebrate the table in a moment because We don't always get it right. We don't always put away vexation. We don't always put away evil as we should. And so uh, that judgment, that justice is poured out on Jesus Christ so that we can find hope. But we still seek to move forward in what we call in in the church sanctification, being made more like Jesus, putting sin away more and more and walking more and more in faithfulness to him. And then we remember Chapter 12, verse 1, remember also your creator in the days of your youth before the evil day comes and the years draw near, of which you will say, I have no pleasure in them. Remember your creator, not just remember God or even the Lord. It's remember your creator. It's, it's this reminder of what is true in this world, that, that we are creatures. And, and this is particularly important for the preacher here in Ecclesiastes, because he's saying that you pursue wisdom, you pursue work, you pursue family, you pursue wealth, and all of those things, they don't have the answer for you. Trust God. And he doesn't say, and then it will make sense. There, there's still a lack of understanding. And that's part of our creaturely nature that we are his creatures and so he ends as we looked at chapter 12 verse 13 many times for the end of the matter all has been said fear god and keep his commandments for his for this is the whole duty of man and that this then leads us to on a daily basis rejoice to rejoice in what god offers so if a person lives many years however many he lives let him rejoice in them all But let him remember that the days of darkness will be many. All that comes is vanity. In light of what is to come, rejoice now. Experience the gifts of God. So as we talked about pleasures, we talked about uh, work, as we talked about wisdom, those aren't ends in and of themselves, but they are good gifts from God when we experience them rightly. And so that we eat and drink and enjoy the, the spoils of our work, he says again and again. It's that we're to go through life seeking joy in often mundane, regular things. Henry Nouwen uh, talks about what he calls being surprised by joy. It's the great challenge of faith to be surprised by joy. He says, I remember sitting at a dinner table with friends discussing some economic depression in our, of the country. And we kept throwing out statistics that made us increasingly convinced that things could only get worse. And suddenly, the four-year-old son of one of my friends opened the door, ran to his father, and said, Look, Daddy, look. I found a little kitten in the yard. Look. Isn't she cute? While showing the kitten to his father, the little boy stroked the kitten with his hands and held it against his face. All at once, everything changed. The little boy and his kitten became the center of attention. There were smiles, strokes, and many tender words. We were surprised by joy. In, in the midst of big picture, depressing conversation, they experience the small joy of life. And that's just one of many examples that we could think of. And this is the call that, that Jesus gives us himself to, to rejoice, to not be anxious. Matthew 6, we won't read all of 25 through 34, but it's essentially don't be anxious. And it's not a, it's not a don't be anxious, don't do it. I think of the Bob Newhart skit from years ago. Somebody comes, I'm struggling with these thoughts. Stop it. Stop it, was the answer. And it's, it's clearly ridiculous, right? That's not what, uh, what Scripture is saying. That's not what Jesus says. W- what he's saying, what all of Scripture is saying, you, you don't need to worry because God's got this. You may not fully understand, but he has this. He has this in in a way, even beyond what the preacher could understand at this time, because Jesus hadn't yet come and proclaimed those words and then moved toward his death and his resurrection, covering all of our sin and all of our brokenness and all the ways in which we fail to understand and, and to act accordingly to give us hope in him. And yet he calls us as well to just rejoice in what we might call the small things. These were encouraging words to me in Zach Eswine's book about Ecclesiastes. He was one of my professors in seminary. And he says, We needn't wonder if God approves of our paying attention to our little portion and ordinary lot with him. We needn't ask if he approves. But we're all going to die, we counter. I know. Make a sandwich, cook a fish, the preacher responds. But the sky is falling, we shout. I know. Have some tea. Enjoy this wine with me, he says. God is here. But everything is meaningless. I know. Go ahead and wash your clothes. But the injustice racks the broken world. I know. Go ahead and take a bath or clean your face when you can. Let your garments be always white. Let not oil be lacking on your head. Chapter 9. God hasn't quit. But what do you mean? Nothing satisfies us. It's all vanity. I know. Listen to your wife's voice. Hold her hand. Wash the dishes together. Plan your life. Learn to make wondrous love. Work redemptively through your pains together. Help the kids. Do not deny how much you love her. Embrace this. But death is coming. I know. Enjoy life with the wife whom you love. God is here. But wisdom gets us no favors here. Yes. So go ahead and start your day. But life isn't fair. I know. The grief is terrible. But try to do what you love as you are able Do it passionately with all your heart, even if you are struck doing some work that is beneath your dreams. Still, God can meet you there. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with your might. Ecclesiastes 9 verse 10. Do life. God is here. He's working. He's inviting us into his story. He is bringing hope. We do celebrate the resurrection next Sunday. It has implications for the ordinary parts of life and hope for ultimately fixing the big broken things as well.